Hey everyone, this is Krista Bontrager. I want to thank you for watching today. This is part of a series of reflections that I'm doing on issues related to uh, biblical manhood, biblical womanhood, women in ministry, and even marriage. And actually marriage is going to be the topic in particular for this episode. And our tendency when we start conversations about men and women and that sort of thing uh, is to start with like Ephesians 5, that, that's a very common place to start and, and, and talking about the, the, that passage and what does it mean for men to be the head of a woman. But I actually think that um, there's a different passage that we often neglect. And in my, one of my old uh, professors in seminary was the first person to point this out to me. So I wanna give good credit where credit is due to Dr. Ron Pierce. He has a very fine article that has appeared in the Priscilla Papers called 1 Corinthians 7, Paul's Neglected Treatise on Gender. And I would encourage you to check that out. It's available here at this website uh, through the Christians for Biblical Equality. And I'm just going to be summarizing some of Dr. Pierce's very fine ideas. So you can definitely uh, check that out in, their, in its entirety there. But 1 Corinthians 7, I think, is an interesting passage because Paul sets up some boundaries for marriage, some expectations, some things that we ought to look for in how we treat one another. And I think that when we, when we start a conversation about men and women and marriage with Ephesians 5, the immediate question is, is well, what does it mean that the man is the head of the woman? And then the whole conversation proceeds to go from there. But if we start with 1 Corinthians 7 as undergirding or something that has to be integrated with Ephesians 5, a much different picture begins to emerge. So let's just try to walk through that right now. Paul says, now for the matters you wrote about, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. But since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. Now what's interesting to me here that just jumps right off the page is the theme of mutuality throughout 1 Corinthians 7. The instructions that Paul gives to the man, he gives to the woman, and the instructions he gives to the woman, he gives to the man. There aren't special instructions for men and special instructions for women. So when he says, you know, man should have sexual relations with his wife and his wife with, with her husband. So there's an equal expectation for both the husband and the wife that they will be faithful to each other. He continues, the husband should fulfill his duty, his marital duty to his wife, and likewise the wife to her husband. Again, we see this principle of mutuality in play. So it's not that the, the wife owes the husband marital relations or the husband owes the wife, it's that they both have a duty to each other in this area. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband. Now, if we were to stop reading the verse right there, that could be very problematic. Well, what does that mean that the, the wife does not have authority over her own body? That is very counterintuitive to our current culture where uh, it's a woman's body and it's her right to choose and all of that. But notice how Paul goes on. He says, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it 
to his wife. Again, the Christian view of marriage is one of mutuality, not one of who's in charge and who's submitting to the person in charge, rather that, that both the men and the woman have responsibilities and that they are mutually uh, there for each other, to help each other, to support each other. Do not deprive each other except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. And I say this as a concession, not a command. I wish that all of you were as I am, but each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. And what Paul's talking about here is that he is not married and his gift, his uh, charisma, if you will, charismata, this spiritual gift is that of not being married, is of celibacy. And he's saying, you know, sometimes there needs to be a time for a couple to be celibate um, from each other for maybe there's an issue that they really need to pray through or maybe there's a crisis happening that they need to deal with. But that shouldn't be a way of punishing each other. Rather, it's for the purpose of spiritual growth. But again, that there's no, there's nothing wrong with marital relations between a husband and wife. <clears throat> but sometimes the demands of life um, require us to um, be celibate because there's something we need to deal with—a deeper spiritual issue. But that that's a temporary thing, and they should come back together. Now, to the unmarried and the widow, I say it is good for them to stay unmarried as I do. But if they cannot control themselves, then they should marry. For it is better to marry than burn with passion. To the married I give this command, not I but the Lord. A wife must not separate from her husband. But if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled with her husband. And a husband must not divorce his wife. And the word for divorce here I've talked about in other videos and other places. But it's this idea of sending her away or putting her away. It's a very common Middle Eastern practice to just divorce your wife or to put her away, to send her away for any reason. But again, notice the principle of mutuality. The wife should not abandon her husband and the husband should not abandon his wife. They should be mutual. They should stay together. Um, that's the Lord's ideal. That is the Lord's command. To the rest, I say this, I, not the Lord, if a brother has a wife who is not a believer and she is willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. And if a woman has a husband who is not a believer and he is willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. So again, we see this principle of mutuality. There's not special rules that apply for husbands and different rules that apply for wives. Paul is really just continuing to emphasize how the same rules apply for both the husband and the wife. For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife, and the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. Now, it's beyond the scope of this video to explore what Paul's meaning here, but I think in general, we can make a general statement. But what he's saying is that if you're married to an unbeliever, but you are a believer, that believer has an impact on the unbeliever, and that that they also impact their children and that sometimes a faithful spouse can actually be instrumental in the Lord using them to bring the unbelieving spouse to faith. 
Now, we have to be careful with this because we don't want to tell people like that they're responsible for bringing their children to faith or their unbelieving spouse to faith, but rather that this sometimes does happen and um, our role is to just be faithful to the Lord. But what this really tells me is that each person in the marriage relationship is responsible for their own spiritual well-being. We don't have to wait for our spouse to be a good leader, a good spiritual leader, before we can grow in Christ. We are responsible for our own spiritual health, each one of us before the Lord, both the husband and the wife. But if the unbeliever leaves, let it be so. The brother or the sister is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. How do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? Again, notice the mutuality here. And what all of this brings me back to is our previous conversation about Genesis chapter 1. The both men and women are created in the image of God. Both have been given jobs. Both have been given tasks. And both need each other. And we see this same mutuality being the ideal in the Christian marriage. This, this ideal before the fall of the, the woman and the man co-laboring together to multiply and fill the earth. This is the picture, I think, of what Paul is talking about here in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. I think that the passage that stands behind this is Genesis 1 and 2. The pre-fall life is the ideal for Christian marriage. It is one of mutual submission, mutual help, and mutual support as we co-labor together in the Great Commission and to bring the gospel to the ends of the earth. Thanks for watching. Bye-bye.